Hello and welcome to the 26th episode of Megaten Marathon. It's a game-by-game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. Um, in this episode, we are going to start our coverage of uh, Devil Summoner Soul Hackers. And uh, just before we start here, I wanted to just kind of address uh, one thing. Um, unfortunately, uh, Brian and Evan, who started the show with me, uh, have both ha- had to leave the show for personal life reasons. And um, yeah, we're definitely going to miss them a lot. Uh, but they just got to a point where it wasn't really tenable for them to be doing a regular podcast about very long games. Thanks for sticking in with us as we figured this all out and uh, for understanding. And so, to serve as introductions, I'm Paul M. Davis, and who am I here with for this new era of Megaten Mar- Marathon? Hi, I'm Alex Dorado Wolf. You may remember me from the Persona 5 episodes, well, the second half of them. I'm back. <laughs> And um, I'm Elisa James. I'm the newcomer, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I feel like I've uh, Elisa and I have been talking for maybe about a year and a half about getting her on the show, and uh, it's just it took us so much longer than we expected, especially to get through Persona Five. <laughs> um, you know, every few months I'd uh, send her a message and be like, "We still want you on the show. We're still doing this." <laughs> um, <laughs> So, I appreciate your patience. Well, then, no, it's no problem at all. I was honestly honored that uh, you guys came to me and wanted me to help host, so I'm just glad to be on board. Awesome. Well, we are glad to have you on board. Yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, before we get started, uh, Lisa, do you want to tell us a bit about how you got into the Mega Ten games and Persona games and kind of give us some background on... Which games you played? What are some of your favorites, maybe? Well, let's see. The first one I ever played was Persona 3. That was when I was in high school. And funny enough, what got me into it was I literally, like, I was looking at reviews, watching videos, and it was a bunch of kids summoning demons with by shooting themselves in the head. And as a high schooler, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I had to get this game. I knew nothing about this series. And, <laughs> and from then on, I was absolutely hooked. There was nothing like any other RPG I ever played. You know, before that, I played a lot of Final Fantasy and whatnot. Um, so then from Persona 3, I also played Persona 4. Uh, I started getting into Persona 1 and 2 because... Like a little bit later when I was in college, that's when they started, port, um, you know, remastering it and porting it to the PSP. Mm-hmm. So I played those. I also played uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 uh, Nocturne on PS2. And then from there, I started getting into uh, Devil Summoner series, uh, Digital Devil Saga, uh, played Shin Megami Tensei 4. That was actually the first review I did because I worked on a website called Dual Shockers. And that was the no, it was the second review I ever did. So that was Shin Megami Tensei 4. So I've um, been playing the series for uh, quite a bit. I think my favorite, though, um, probably a tie between Shin Megami Tensei 3 and uh, 4, honestly. 
But Persona 3 does hold a special place in my heart because it got me into the whole series. Yeah, I think uh, Persona 4 will always be that for me. Um, yeah. Even though I can recognize a lot of its flaws now, it's it's the game that got me into the series, and SMT4's game that got me into Megaton, or uh, to the SMT series, you know? And so those two are definitely kind of like standout in my mind having to review smt4 must have been a nightmare though <laughs> it was um it was interesting yeah because like i said it was my second review i was still getting into my kind of voice in terms of uh actually writing reviews out and because the beginning is so you know infamously difficult it just once you get into naraku it just throws you right in you know <laughs> you barely have any demons um, you have to fight them off, but I guess because I'm a bit stubborn and because I knew I had to get, of course, the review done, I ended up sticking it out and it ended up working out for me. So I was even able to write a beginner's guide off of it. So that oh, was wow. pretty fun. Oh, yeah, cool. I was, that was actually my uh, second editorial piece I ever did, too. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I just can't imagine like being assigned uh here here's a hundred hour rpg you know <laughs> turn uh turn uh, turn in 1600 words on this in uh, a week exactly <laughs> awesome well welcome elisa and welcome back alex and so yeah double summoner soul hackers so it was originally released in 19 in 1997 for the sega saturn and uh, it was a sequel to the original uh, Devil Summoner, which was also released on um, the Sega Saturn. Those were the first two uh, 32-bit uh, SMT games. Um, and that first Devil Summoner has never been localized. Um, apparently you so. summon devils in it. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Alex and I were talking offline yesterday about how funny a subtitled Devil Summoner is for a series in which, you know, every game you summon demons. Exactly. But so, you uh, know, it's different from the ones where you call the demon. <laughs> <laughs> so the version that we're going to be doing, um, because Saturn emulation is tough, and also if we have a more... Uh, user-friendly way of playing a game, we will go for it. So the one that we are doing was the re-release for the Nintendo 3DS, which was released in 2012. It had updated visuals and additional ease-of-use ease considerations, and, like, really pretty pretty nice-looking um, cutscenes, and, yeah, it was pretty pretty bang-up job. I don't know what got Atlas to actually decide that this was the game that they needed to uh, update and uh, bring to the 3DS, but I'm glad they did. One thing that I thought was really interesting, <laughs> especially at this point in uh, history, <laughs> is um, something I came across uh, on Wikipedia, and the concept was pretty forward-thinking. Says uh, the the initial concept was thought up based on the internet boom fueled by the recently released Windows ninety five operating system. Koji Okada and Kazuma Kaneko 
saw the potential dangers of the internet being used as a means of control and the crisis that ensued when some something went wrong with the widely used system. And uh, I just I just thought that was funny um, after this past year and a half. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's it for the background. Um, Alex, do you want to take on the basic premise? All right. So um, Soul Hackers takes place in uh, the rural Amami city of Japan. I don't remember if that's fictional or not. Um, look it up if you want to know. <laughs> well, in any case, Amami City, as it exists in the game, is not a real place because it's the crazy future internet city where everything is connected to the internet and it's super futuristic um, in a very cyberpunk use. Your nameless protagonist belongs to a hacker group known as the Spookies who hack things. Yeah, because that's what you do and it's cool. Uh, so as the game begins, uh, this new virtual reality world called Paradigm X is about to launch, which is like the real world, but virtual. And everyone in the city will like be, uh, I eventually be able to like plug into it and have a fake city inside their real city for reasons. Um, yeah. And it's, it's real, uh, 90s VR, uh, version of, uh, <laughs> of like an online space where people will go to meet. What if you had chat rooms, but they were actual rooms where you chatted? <laughs> <laughs> it's not unlike those, uh, you know, those communities that they had, like AOL and Apple had back in the 90s, where it was like, you're going to walk to a store to purchase something. Yeah, it's uh, definitely inspired a little bit by those uh, muds from the older, early days of the Internet, where you would walk around in a virtual world, but uh, you're a text parser. So uh, as the game uh, is opening, the closed beta for Paradigm X is about to uh, go online, and uh, your main character is hacking into it to get into the beta. Stuff happens, and it turns out there are demons, is the essential premise. Um, <laughs> uh, probably a good point to just bring up here, not sure where else to fit it in, is that um, the mythology this game takes a lot of its inspiration from is actually uh, the, Al the Algonquin mythology, uh, which is uh, shared by a group of uh, Native American cultures uh, in the United States. So that's why a bunch of the figures and characters who show up may not be as familiar as they are in uh, some of the other SMT games. You know, it's, it's not Lucifer here. It's uh, Manitou, uh, which is just the Great Spirit, basically. Hmm. Um, you can even see that in the name of the, uh, the company that, uh, does all the internet stuff in Amami City, Algonsoft, Algon, Algonquin, stuff. something I don't uh. think, uh, I saw other people notice online, but that clicked in my head. That's really uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I did a little bit of research on that. So as it comes up through, uh, our coverage of the game, I'll bring that up because the mythology has always been one of my main draws, uh, for the SMT series. Um, Moving on to the basic mechanics, uh, it's pretty standard SMT, very much along the lines of um, Shin Megami Tensei 1. You uh, walk around in first-person dungeons with a party of demons and uh, people, and uh, you use the uh, magitite, magnetite, whatever that stuff is called. The thing that's like money, but you use it to summon demons. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, you have the standard, well, not well, the uh, recurring demon negotiation theme where you can talk to demons and try to get them to join your party um, through various dialogue options. Uh, demons have their own personality types, um, which uh, makes them act differently in battle. Um, you can command them directly, but if they have a certain personality type, they may disregard what you say and do something else. Um, which is kind of cool, kind of frustrating, but uh, it's an interesting direction to go in. A little bit like, uh, you know, the the Pokemon who disobey you because you're not high enough level or whatever. I haven't played a Pokemon game in like 15 years, so I may be misremembering that. (laughs) No, no, that's actually correct, but I think that goes by um, the level of them and what gym badge you have. Yeah, that, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I only got a 3DS, like, earlier this year, so I have been horribly behind on Nintendo games since, like, the N64. (laughs) (laughs) So then uh, you can also uh, give demons in your party, like, gifts that can change their personality or make them do stuff. It's it's very fiddly. Uh, You can also get them drunk, which uh, was something I was not aware of uh, until I was just looking through an online thing about the game mechanics, but... If you get them drunk, they have like a certain alcohol tolerance, which will change their personality for a certain amount of time based on the kind of alcohol you give them. Like uh, tequila makes you te- tequila makes yeah. you party and uh, <laughs> red wine makes you sleepy. So you, you get your demons drunk to make them do it. Um, which this is, may be one of the best mechanics that's ever been in an SMT game. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. And they really should have brought that more to the forefront. <laughs> um it's really flavorful and just so beyond that stuff it's really very it feels like an smt game um just a little bit smoother than some of the earlier entries could just be the difficulty level is a little bit more friendly or it i'm not sure what it is exactly but it just feels polished oh yeah and then you can also like install programs on your comp demon summony thing which uh can give you various little benefits uh, like being able to save anywhere or auto-mapping the level. Uh, there's also a thing that they added for the 3DS version where um, <clears throat> you can just uh, hack the game's difficulty at various points and uh, just adjust it so it's easier, which is very user-friendly and nice. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't used that myself because pride, but it's good to know it's there. Um, oh, and then there's a, it's kind of a mechanic where you like do go in the virtual world and like go to the store and buy things and it's very different than uh just walking around a city in a regular video game instead, <laughs> you're, instead of just walking around a fake city in your video game uh walking around a city in a video game which is a virtual thing that you are holding in the real world your character is then walking around in a virtual thing inside of a virtual so it's very different and feels very um i think that covers it for the mechanic uh, there's also some other 3DS stuff, like there's a demon that like you put 3DS coins into and it evolves street pass. Um, seems uh, like a fun little thing to engage with uh, if you feel like it, but it's very much a side thing. Yeah, as as those street pass uh, coin features often are. But allegedly people love them in Japan, like they're yeah. used a lot, so... Yeah, they had to modify it, I think, a little bit for the uh, the U.S. version because people didn't bring their 3DSs everywhere. And they were like, hey, OK, uh, 
Yeah, just use the coins you get from the pedometer. Yeah, exactly. Instead exactly. of actually having to pass people with uh, 3DSs on the street. I think they put them in, like, McDonald's, like, and uh, Toys R Us as well. Like, so if you happen to be in a McDonald's, you would get some kind of street pass function. Um, cool. But yeah, this is not the Street Pass show. This is the <laughs> wait, wait. I thought I signed up for the Street Pass show. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Megaton show. All so right. yeah, yeah. So now we are starting out in Amami City, which is the cyberpunk city of the future, and um, yeah. Uh, this virtual reality thing called uh, Paradigm X, uh, created by Algonsoft, is about to launch closed beta. And because you're a hacker, and, um, you know, that's what you do, you've got to hack, uh, you decide that you need to hack into Paradigm X and uh, get beta access. So you do that, you... Uh, do something that is a kind of perfunctory part of all of these really early SMT games. Uh, this happens, I think, in S- it definitely happens in SMT one. I think it happens in SMT two, where uh, you go home and you meet your family, and it's a nice little like introduction. And these people are probably going to die, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> or tr- get turned into demons or something like that. But, you know, it's nice little uh, little character beats. Once you're at home, you get called to a warehouse by uh, the boss of the Spookies, who I believe his name is just Spooky. Yes. Boss of the Spookies, Spooky. Yes. Um, all of the Spookies have their uh, real names and their hacker handles um, that they are pretty much exclusively referred to by. Oh, except for uh, Hitomi, who does not have a handle because she's the girl. Right. So, oh yeah, and you're in this like crazy. Once you get to the warehouse, you're in the, you're in this crazy hacker bus. Yeah, very very um, stealthy. Yeah, yeah. And, and that has your hacker logo like emblazoned <laughs> on the side of it. It's, it's like the size of a semi truck. It's hilarious. Yeah, I felt like it would have been. You know, that could have made a good premise for like a '90s um, for like a really cheap '90s sci-fi show. Hack bus. Yeah. <laughs> the spooky boss shows off his gun computer. He says that uh, he has had to move the headquarters because people have been following, following him around ever since he got his gun computer. So he uh, leaves it with you and uh, then takes off. And then you go into the world of the Paradigm X Beta. Which, as we said, it's a virtual world. It's, uh, you know, closer to uh, 90s uh, radical dude wearing a VR helmet VR than it is Second Life, uh, probably. Um, It's actually a little confusing. (laughs) There's a thing later where you actually go into the virtual world and, like, physically, but I think it is more like you're just controlling an avatar. At first, I don't know. It, it is not clear about. That. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it will clear it up, clarify it as we go along. Yep. Um, so you're introduced uh, to this virtual reality city by this superhero mascot guy. 
And I don't know about you guys, but I kept on expecting like Jack Frost to show up as a mascot. Yeah, either the Spookies or some something, and uh, I guess his uh, his stock was not quite as high. Well, um, all of the, the, the women who work at the casino are dressed like Jack Frost. That's true. So. Yeah, but it was still a little disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I if I was to go to virtual SMT game world, I would definitely expect to be introduced by a cute waving Jack Frost. Yep. Instead, we get some superhero. Yeah. So, uh, you start checking out the city and go into a room and, uh, you hear this crazy voice from some monster thing that says, give me all your souls. And, uh, a floating coyote appears and says, he saved you from getting your soul stolen. And he identifies himself as Knapp and warns you that a catastrophe is coming. And the uh, give me your souls voice is going to take the souls of everybody in the city. So, um, like lots of people, uh, lots of uh, white people like to do in Sedona, um, he sends you on a vision quest. Yeah, um, fun little fact, this character's name in the Japanese version of the game is Red Man. Oh, man. Which is so racist. Um, oh my god. <laughs> uh yeah, so you know, I'm just going to uh, Kinap is uh, an Algonquin hero figure uh that the localization did a good job of choosing as the name for this character because it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We have a running uh, a running tally of characters that were very racist in the Japanese version. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> That definitely goes on the list. Yeah, <laughs> that the uh, localizers um, saved, or in some cases, like Persona One, didn't save. Uh, uh, well, first I mean... time. <laughs> anyway. Oh. So yeah, we are about to uh, set out on your vision quest. So for the vision quest, uh, kind of like this little sort of trippy. Um, well, I guess more than a vision because you're sort of physically inside of the uh, person who you're seeing, you know, the vision through. It seems that I think they sort of um, imply that you were actually that person reincarnated because the person that you start off with is a uh, private detective Urabe. And they've mentioned a few times that, you know, that Urabe was you in a past life, which is why you can see visions of his, uh, t- his moments before his, uh, his death later on. So let's see. So you start off. Uh, let's see. You start off. You have to break into Algon's headquarters. It's uh, one of his jobs he's given. He used to work for Algon before, but he clearly defected. Um, he was clearly uh, well known before. He was known as very powerful. You know, his name actually had uh, weight, but of course now he's just some traitor. So. He gets a phone call, uh, presumably from his employer, and that mentions that the Phantom Society has enemies and restates what he has to do. Of course, the Phantom Society is what he used to work for. Um, he, he needs to copy the data from a terminal in the HQ on a gun pewter, um, <laughs> which at the time you're not sure, but it ends up linking up as the one that uh, Mr. Spooky obtains later on. 
And in a little bit, it actually has this really cool callback kind of, uh, um, you know, sort of thing that they did. Let's see. And then <laughs> as noted in here, uh, he then lights a cigarette and immediately throws it out of his car for no reason. Yeah, just this, this full <laughs> cigarette with just the very tip lit and just, just a cool shot of him driving away in this. It just really stood out when I was writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so after that, um, you know, you traverse through this dungeon. It's pretty simple. It's like more of a basic dungeon to sort of get you um, uh, versed in the uh, general mechanics. Although to note here, while the game, you know, works on the loyalty system that your character normally has to build, Urabe in this case, because like I said before, he's so uh, strong, his entire demon party is completely loyal to him. Uh, they're very powerful. They'll basically just do whatever you ask them to do. You have no issues with them whatsoever. So that's kind of a nice thing too, not having to worry about whether they're going to disobey you at a point. Um, so, you know, you go through this pretty simple dungeon. Um, and he basically scans the data. He does, honestly, the dumbest thing I've seen, which was he didn't have enough data on his computer. So he actually deleted the demon summoning program <laughs> off of the computer. <laughs> what could and go I was wrong? Just like, You're going to die now, aren't you? <laughs> 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 so. So yeah, after he does that to make room for this data, uh, he, of course, immediately gets cornered by Finnegan, who's a member of the Phantom Society. And now he realizes how stupid that was, but it's too late. So, you know, he it's like a whole chase scene. He goes on the roof. He's cornered again. He realizes, ah, whoops, I can't really fight this guy now because he has demons and I don't. But at least he was able to um, have the data on the computer. Oh, and the callback is that uh, he quickly encrypts the data using a password. And you actually have to set the password on the computer yourself. And, of course, I went for a very simple one because I had a feeling this was going to come back. <laughs> he, um, once he throws the computer off the roof, he's, uh, Finnegan shoots him. And then the um, the vision quest ends. And what's actually cool is that, and this will be probably covered in a bit, but that same password that you put in as Urabe, your main character has to put in now once they've awoken from their vision quest. So you have to actually remember what you put in. And that's how you get into your, that's how you unlock the computer and get into it. It's very convenient, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, as Alyssa just said, you uh, pretty much like two minutes later, just have to remember the thing that you just entered. A uh, fun little thing is that the keyboard for this gun computer is all in Norse rune. Uh, yep. I d just seemed fun to me. Because <laughs> uh, that seems like what you would want on a computer. <laughs> uh, also, I guess you would want a computer that looks like a gun, uh, which... Uh, <laughs> The game, I believe, does refer to as a gump, which, yeah, is, the name. which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you uh, you unencrypt the uh, gump and uh, then your friend Hitomi, who you've been hanging out with for uh, the game up to this point, uh, gets possessed by uh, this spirit demon thing from the gun pewter. 
uh, called Nemissa. Um, yeah. And, um, oh, another little uh, Algonquin mythology thing. Nemissa is uh, a star maiden character from Algonquin mythology. Um, the story with her, her actual story isn't that interesting. Just a lady who came from the stars and married a guy. And it, it, I don't know. It does not seem relevant to the game. But uh, I, I had originally assumed that this was uh, a play on Nemesis. But no, uh, completely different. Um, uh, Tomi's body has been taken over and they're like doing this thing where they're vying for control and it, it's fun. Uh, you get a lot of, uh, dialogue between the two of them throughout the game and it adds a lot of character and flavor to what would other otherwise be just a lot of pretty dry dungeon crawling. Um, also this turns her hair white, which, um, I assumed was just like a, a cue to let you know who was talking at any given point, but no, apparently her hair actually turns white. Because when some of the other spooky members show up in a minute, they comment on her hair being different. And I, I'm just wondering, because when, uh, like, Hitomi is talking, her hair turns back to the normal brown. Uh, but when it's Namisa, it's white. So is her hair switching back and forth during these scenes? Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll never know. Um, just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> so she, uh, she thanks you for letting her out, and then she's going to go fight whoever trapped her because she's a very impetuous and aggressive character. And then uh, a couple more of the Spookies members show up. Uh, there is Six, whose personality is that he likes guns and is relaxed. And... <laughs> <laughs> Some, something that I always associate with, uh, you know, people who like guns is yep. that they're, you know, pretty chill. Yep. And then there's Lunch, uh, who is earnest, short-tempered, and good at modifying computer hardware. So, there's a little banter there. And then uh, your boss, Boss Spooky, calls and says he's in trouble at the Algonsoft headquarters where you just were in the vision, vision quest. And also it's full of monsters, demons, whatever. Miss uh, is like, cool, let's go fight the demon. And then Fix, who likes guns and is relaxed, gives you some guns and armor. And then you go there and you do basically part two of the... Well, not part two. You have another dungeon in the same place as the other dungeon. Uh, a cool little fact here is that if you open some treasure chests in the vision quest, those will be empty when you go back here. Which I thought was a very nice little touch. Hmm. Um, really gives you the feeling that uh, there's some continuity there. Really, the vision quests in general, I think, do spice up the storytelling quite a bit, and I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, you go through the dungeon, talk to some demons, get them to join you. This is your first kind of combat thing with your main character. Um, not terribly challenging or anything. And then you get to the end, and then you meet uh, the rockabilly demon summoner, Carol J, who has his leather jacket and his guitar. Apparently, the guitar is like his comp, because they could be shaped like a gun or a guitar or whatever. Um, so you fight him, says he's a member of the Phantom Society, he runs away after you win, and he drops a piece of paper with some weird code on it. You then find your boss, who's fine, and then you go back to your giant boss. Uh, he explains that he went to the headquarters because the guy who sold him the gun says that he found it outside the headquarters. That's a, yep. And that's yep. why that happened. Yep. So uh, then lunch uh, decrypts Carol's paper, which gives you access to the Phantom Society message board. You, you've been hearing about the Phantom Society, but now you get to know uh, who they are. 
Uh, you're basically your standard apocalyptic evil organization. Uh, they're trying to gather souls to bring demons to the city. Um, their plan is to keep everything secret and kill people who find out. And, uh, yeah, the uh, gunpewter tells you that your next step is to go to the Gomaden, uh, which is this weird giant boat that's out in the uh, bay that you've been noticing. Once you get out there, you uh, meet Victor, who, uh, you know, is kind of this uh, goth ghost pirate captain. He says that you're welcome on the boat. You know, he explains that the gigantic cruise ship is like this game's Velvet Room. I think this is where the Cathedral of Shadows is. Yeah. Yeah. And some other like of the weird, like transforming demon mechanic stuff. Yeah. Is there. Yeah. So it's kind uh, of like gambling boat, like this like seedy, weird gambling boat um, in the bay. Is also where you get a lot of your, uh, you know, game needs taken care of. So uh, he says uh, he sends you uh, some warehouses to get a Dolly Cadmon, <laughs> whatever that is. And so you go to the warehouse and it's frozen. You go through a pretty straightforward dungeon. And I would say like the dungeons, un- we're probably not going to call out much in the at least in these early dungeons, because they are really straight. It's basically well, in the, like... In, in this one, some of the doors are frozen. Right. Some of the doors oh, are frozen. And there's this whole thing where you have to, like, get the warm clothes and mm-hmm. pass cards, and it doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> uh, it's perfectly reasonable dungeon stuff. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's slightly more interesting than just walk through these rooms to the boss. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's a little more complicated than that. but Not interesting enough to go through in detail. Yeah. So uh, you find out that there's a uh, demon called Gargon Zero, who's at the center of the the warehouse, and uh, he's the one making everything cold. So you uh, go and you fight the demon and uh, kill him, and uh, then you meet Dr. Thrill who is a scientist with a big nose, who is apparently in charge of the demon you uh, you fought. And uh, I was not aware of this, but apparently this is a uh, holdover from the first Soul Hacker game. Yeah, it's, it's like, um, from obviously since the game wasn't translated, uh, the information on this is a little bit confusing, I will say. Uh, but apparently he's a character from the first uh, Soul Hacker, not first, first Devil Summoner game. Um, and he like made a bunch of optional, he's like a mad doctor who created these demons, uh, the Gargan or Gargantua series of demons that are like optional bosses that you fight, you can fight throughout that game. Uh, doesn't actually seem to have much to do with the plot of that game, but, uh, there he is. Yep. Just friendly face. Yep. Um, oh, he's apparently from the Soviet Union and then defected (laughs) to Japan. That was another piece of information about him (laughs) online. <laughs> did you did you find his blood type? Uh, it's AB. Okay, good. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, you know he's he's pissed that you took down Gargan Zero, and he says something about getting re- uh, revenge, and then runs away. And then you find the Dolly Cadman, 
and you bring it back to the creepy casino boat. Yep. And then that unlocks some of your demon using thing. Um, oh, and if, it should be mentioned in case you, you guys didn't pick up on this, that Victor is a reference to Victor Frankenstein. Indeed. Much like Igor is a reference to Igor from Frankenstein. <laughs> and, and all of the, um, and oh yeah, he's from the first Devil Summoner game too, apparently. Cool. Yep. So now we're going to be going over to the Astro Museum. So uh, with this, um, you, your character and uh, Namissa receive a challenge from Carol J from the previous dungeon because he's a bit upset, you know, understatement, that you beat him so badly and apparently it made him a huge laughing stock. In his organization. So he issues you a challenge. So you end up going to the Astrology Museum. Uh, because, you know, Miss is all gung-ho. She wants to take him on, whatever. Because he's talking smack. So, <laughs> um, The Astrology Museum. It's a really short dungeon, honestly. I think it's only, like, what? A couple floors or something? Yeah, it's really, like, size-wise. Yeah. It's, like yeah, it's like two floors and some hallways. Way smaller yeah. than the warehouse thing. The main thing is that you have to solve this puzzle uh, where you answer an astrology. Also, astrology museum, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think Elisa and I have, had a, uh, have uh, talked about this, but astronomy puzzle or uh, quiz? I mean, that was enough to kick me off the game for a good year. Because I was so pissed off. Because it's like yeah. you've got a very, very short period of time. Basically, there's like a number of different things that you come across that say, oh, this is, you know, left to this and this constellation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you go in and I'm, you probably have more time than this, but you, you have basically what feels like 10 seconds to answer six questions or something like that. You know, it is it is ten seconds actually. <laughs> oh, I didn't even know it was time. Yep, it's ten seconds. That's all you have, and of course, if you don't get it in ten seconds, it kicks you off. And not only does it just mean you have to restart the quiz, but it kicks you back to a previous part of the dungeon. So you have to keep retracting back to that quiz room. Redo the quiz, get all the questions right, and, you know, if you keep missing it, you keep going back. It's, honestly, unless you really know astrology, it's really tedious. I just wrote down what all of the exhibits said. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been the smart thing. I, yeah. I, for some reason, I, you know, what? I, I, I was so lazy after a while, I, and I thought this would work. I took photos with my phone. Of each one, I couldn't like flip between the photos fast enough to get it in the ten second time. Oh limit. yeah, I, I just wrote it down on a. Yep, that's the way. That's the way yep. to do it. Apparently, I, it was. It was actually. Yeah, I didn't even know it was timed. Like I saw. Oh, there's a quiz. I need to go back and do that. Um, and then I just wrote it all down. Yeah, <laughs> it was fine. Um, yeah. So once you uh finally get through this quiz, um, let's see. You get into, you know, you finally get to the next area. Um, eventually, uh, you make your way, you meet Cal J again. Uh, and he ends up trying to summon this kind of 
Angel. I don't remember the name. If I don't know if you guys remember the it's name like, of uh, what we initially tried to summon. It's like uh, uh, it started with a K. I remember. Um, yeah, yeah. This is very uh, like pretty silly sounding. And then, uh, but he ends up summoning some weird, creepy monster called uh, what was it? Muis? Muis? Yeah, that's another uh, piece of Algonquin mythology there. And he is a snowman who came to life, basically. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Neither did I until I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) That was just really cool information, honestly. Yeah, no, uh, it was fun digging into. It's nice to just mythology stuff that I've never encountered before. So, good on you, game, for using a more obscure mythology. Bad on you for naming your character Red Man. Really, (laughs) really bad on you for that. (laughs) So... You end up uh, fighting, you know, you fi- end up fighting this uh, boss who's possessing uh, Carol J's body. Um, really not a hard boss, but it is the first real, like, actual boss you fight. You have to make sure you just heal. Boss uses Mazan and Miragi, that kind of thing. Um, just use Bufu and Zeal skills. It's not too hard. And then once you beat that boss... Uh, he ends up trying to, you know, he says he needs a stronger body, and he tries to possess uh, Nemissa. Well, he tries to possess Hitomi's body, and Nemissa, of course, freaks out because, as she says, that's her body, and they end up. She ends up disappearing because she's trying to fight off, you know, uh, Mois. And then at this point, Cal J, who I was completely assured that he was dead, actually isn't. <laughs> yeah, it really seems like he was dead, but now. Nah. <laughs> no, not at all. But he's at this point, he's basically just like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Here's some uh, software. He gives you a backup software and just leaves, which is honestly the smartest thing he could do. And the backup software is actually pretty useful. That's the one that allows you to save anywhere, right? Uh, I think, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a really useful one, honestly. So I, I, Install that immediately. So let's see. Event after that, um, you know, Nemissa calls you. Uh, she says she's in Paradigm X, which she was never able to go into before, um, but now she is. And asks you to meet her up at HQ. You get there. She jumps out of the computer. Um, computer. She says she acquired some of his uh, powers. Like she actually managed to absorb him. So that was interesting, but they just did that off screen, so it was also bizarre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, she has some new power. She can enter Paradigm X now. You go inside, buy some clothes. She gets a sexy outfit. You know, <laughs> you told me freaks out. <laughs> yeah. And then um, after that, you end up meeting Keenop again, who at this point is now a hare. And he uh, sends you on a second vision quest. And uh, was anything anyone wanted to add about that before I move uh, on? Yeah. yeah. So this time uh, on, the, on the vision quest, you're uh, a, a Sikh fellow, which I initially thought was really cool in terms of ethnic representation. Uh, yeah. They tried hard, but they made some errors. Uh, like, uh, so his last name, your character is Judah Singh. Uh, and he makes a comment at one point about how the Singh family is you know, known for doing such and such for demons. Singh is, uh, like, the majority of Sikhs have that last name. It's, it doesn't work like last names in other cultures. 
so he's basically saying the majority of last name, which is held by the majority of uh, my ethnic group, have been fighting demons for generations. <laughs> <laughs> and then also he his turban is made of uh, like uh, what what do you call that yellow police tape stuff? Oh yes. Um. Okay. You know. That's interesting. And he has a saxophone. And uh, there is <laughs> That a, was awesome. That was great. Honestly. Uh, which is his comp. And then there was, he has a line later about defeating demons with his saxophone, which that's, is amazing. Yeah, that's phenomenal. <laughs> that was just so, what I wanted to say about that. But uh, So just a question. Um, if they wanted to be more accurate, what would have been like a better sort of uh, name or I guess title he should have given when referring to his family's business? Yeah, I mean... Um, like, I think the way to do it probably would have been to, like, um, give his family um, a role. Um, like, you know, we have been the knights of such and such for centuries or whatever. Something oh, okay. along those lines. Yeah, just the way last names work in Sikhism is just uh, different than it does in most other cultures. Like, um, one of their uh, major historical figures uh, basically said that, okay, all men have the last name Singh and all women have the last name Kaur. Um, and that's just kind of a way of kind of equalizing everyone in that group. Just what I always thought was a little oh, facet okay. of that culture. Wow, that's actually really cool. Yeah. I, I didn't actually know that. So mm-hmm. me neither. <laughs> yeah, the Sikhs are a really, really interesting group that um, don't get a lot of press in the West. But yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool stuff about them, and I thought it was really cool that they even did make the effort to include some in the game. See, so you end up starting the second vision quest, um, as uh, we said before. The person now who you're um, inhabiting is uh, Judah Singh. Um, I know I mentioned in the first one that it's heavily implied that uh, you're a reincarnated form of Urabe. I wonder if it's the case with uh, Judah, because I don't think they explicitly mentioned it in this one. But I would assume to kind of go along with the theme, that'd be the case. Which would be interesting, honestly, you know. He basically is uh, hired uh, by the Phantom... Well, not hired, but he works for the Phantom Society. And they send him to uh, fight this demon in the airport. Because apparently the, the demon was um, like kind of interfering in their uh, assignment. It was, a, it was basically something called the uh, Monitonet uh, taking over the airport systems. Which apparently, you know, meant that... Phantom Society's project was going well, that this ended up happening, but it was also becoming a problem because I think this uh, mining tonette was getting too strong for them, so they needed uh, Judah to uh, come and tame that threat for them. Um, And basically, Finnegan, from the previous Vision Quest, is also here now, and he explains that Urabe had apparently killed someone working for the Phantom Society, He betrayed the Phantom Society because, according to Finnegan, he couldn't throw away his human emotions. And, you know, Finnegan then mentions that he's going to go after Rabe next after this assignment. So this nicely um, places the events of this vision quest prior to the events of the first one. Uh, Singh then promises to kill the demon in the airport's control room to the melody of his sax, which I said before, I think is... Really awesome that he uses a saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> so this dungeon is, it's not bad. Once again, it's pretty easy. The only key is that you have to activate like these kind of control panels in order. Like it was just weird because you had to do a bit of uh, 
backtracking. Like you ended up going to this room, you know, to start off your quest, and then something goes on. Um, you end up having to go backwards and then activate all these control panels in a specific order, which the game gives you. So that was kind of bizarre, but wasn't anything serious. Mm. Um, as you're going along and accomplishing this, you end up running into this uh, woman from the uh, Kuzunaha family, I believe they mentioned. And I believe she's from the first Devil Summoner game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's, um, that's the information I found online. She was one of the playable characters from that game. Yeah. Which is awesome. And then, of course, Kuzunaha in general is a uh, running family um, throughout the Summon- Devil Summoner series. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the uh, main character from Devil Summoner, like um, the some Ra- of the spinoff games, like, you know, with Raido, mm-hmm. he's from that family. I think they actually name dropped him in Persona 4 as well, which was funny. Well, the Kuzunoha family name anyway. So I always like how that name pops up. In um, Mega Ten games, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a cool little like piece of like canon that runs through a series that doesn't have a lot of like canon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to see like that kind of thread going in. It's a nice consistent, like you said, one of the few consistent threads that kind of runs through the series. So um, he ends up fighting her. It's one of those fights you're not going to win because you clearly see that you're outclassed. So basically keeping yourself alive but at the end she's impressed with you know his skill and he's similarly impressed with her she tries to convince him you know to use his uh powers for you know more for better causes that it's a waste for him to work for such a obviously evil organization and you know implies that it's going to come back to him later on uh so you know it kind of it was interesting is that, of course, after this conversation, even though he tries to convince himself otherwise, her words clearly bothers him, but he ends up pressing on with his mission. He eventually uh, meets the demon Winpei in the control room, who's basically building himself a body. So he kind of, when he manifests, it's kind of halfway and really gross looking. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, let's see. Winpei asks who called him forth, who breaks the spell of Monito. So, of course, you know, that, there's that again. Uh, and that actually cues your second, um, your, your boss fight. Well, it's, yeah, second boss fight in this one. Um, pretty easy, honestly. You just use physical attacks and bam, you've won. <laughs> um, and then after that, though, after Sing wins... The computer starts repeating Monito over and over, and then it triggers an explosion. And of course, now everything that that woman was saying before is coming back because he realized kind of too late. Uh, whoops, what have I been fighting for all this time? I basically <laughs> wasted my time now, even though I was thinking of my honor and not being a traitor. You know, now I'm going to die. And, you know, of course, he has some has those regrets in his last moments of his life. And then the vision quest comes to an end. That's right. And I think that's where we're going to come to an end for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good place to stop. So should be interesting to see how these uh, threads are going to actually kind of keep on weaving through the rest of the rest of the story. 
Uh, that was awesome. Um, Elisa and Alex, do you guys have anything you would like to add? Hmm, at this point, you know what? I've been thinking about this. Out of curiosity, what were the hacker handles that you gave to your uh, main character? Oh, yeah, that's a good, fun question. Uh, I called mine Greggy because I think that's a really funny name. Um, like, I always give my uh, SMT protagonists, like, Japanese real names. But I really like that this one lets you do a hacker t- uh, handle, too. So I got to be Greggy. And I also got to be Japanese name that I spent way too long figuring out. My uh, Phantom Thieves in Persona 5 were called Big Greggy. <laughs> that came up. <laughs> I, I, whenever I can choose the name, I, I don't, don't know why this is my dumb third grade sense of humor habit, but I always go with Buttocks as my <laughs> character's name. Um, and it never ceases to make me chuckle when I see it. What about you, Elisa? Um, well, I think I made my, my actual character's name was like Keji or something because I was trying to go for a, the canon name that they had in the novels. I always do this for some reason. And then I thought, oh, it'd be funny if his handle was kind of a pun on his uh, part of his name. So I named him K, <laughs> but like the actual letter K, because then it sounds just like if you took the first part of his real name and pronounced it as K. I, I don't know. I thought it was funny, but. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, these things, you know. You're you're gonna look be looking at this thing for you know countless hours, so yeah, you might as well like amuse yourself. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, before I do the wrapping up, uh, is there anything that you guys, either of you, would like to plug that you're working on or? Um, yeah, well, there's uh, I believe on the the last Persona Five episode I mentioned I was starting a poetry podcast. I did. E.E. Phone Poem. Uh, We analyze a poem. It's fun. Check it out. Uh, Like, no one listens to it, but it's really good if you like listening to people talk about poetry for two hours. (laughs) Which you should, but if you don't, that's okay. (laughs) You got got anything, Lisa? Um, well, I guess, you know, just to tie back in in the beginning, I'll go ahead and plug uh, Dual Shockers, which was the site I worked for for about I think almost four years now, you know, it's a really rad uh, video game site, have all sorts of things. They have, I think, their own podcast as well, which is fun. And I mean, you can always check out all of my old editorials and reviews and everything, including that Shin Megami Tensei review that I did. (laughs) I'll be sure to, uh, I'll I'll see if I can dig it up and uh, include a uh, link in the show notes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll get you a link for that. Cool. Well, thank you so much, both of you. Uh, I'm looking forward to recording the next episode and uh, getting deeper in in here. Uh, Been a good time. As far as just kind of like housekeeping stuff, uh, rate and review us on iTunes. um, And tell your friends. uh, There's this awesome game about... Or uh, this awesome podcast about a series of games that they probably have never heard of, but they should have. Even, even I would say nine times out of ten, even when I tell, I'm talking to people who are, you know, gamers or video game players, um, they ask me, what, what's your, what's your uh, podcast about? And I say, 
the Shin Megami Tensei and uh, Persona games. And they just, like, nine, out, nine, nine, out, nine out of ten times, they look at me blankly. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah. But uh, if you do know somebody who's into the games, please spread the word. We're also on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Um, you can email us with your thoughts at megatonmarathon at gmail.com. Yeah, I think that's about it for all the housekeeping. Well, it was good chatting with you guys, and we shall do this again soon.